calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Storm, we gotta talk. Shoot, I've been at this game a while. I've seen dimensional anomalies, planet conjunctions. I've even seen people just fall right through the fabric of reality. But this, this was no accident. What are you getting at? Storm, someone made this happen. My best guess? Some sort of device ritual combo put the whammy on the planet fabric. Punch clean through our plane into another. So someone just stone cold dug a hole to a pocket dimension? Damn, man. That's messed up. I don't think you get it, Storm. This wasn't some dig team or a partner of the curtain. This was blasted open. I can't even imagine the devastation. Devastation? I thought you said it was a pocket dimension. Nah, man. It's not a pocket dimension. It's the epicenter of the blast. I don't know, Duke. I've seen planar travel. Hell, I've been on the receiving end of my share of banishment spells. But I've never seen anything bad on the other side that wasn't there to begin with. No, what you've seen is normal, stable, short-term travel. This isn't that. This was demolition. Look, you want to get into the apartment next door? So you finesse the owner, you borrow a key, you seduce the wife, you barge in through the front door, right? I've always been fond of the last one, but that's why they stopped hiring me out to local law enforcement. And why you're not invited to many private homes, but that's not the point. Look, these methods follow rules. They have challenges, consequences, same goes for planet travel. Whoever did this, they just blew a damn hole in the wall so they can make a new door. So you're telling me that rather than go through the proper channels to hop the multiverse, they just started blasting? Right, but there's more. Look, this door we're seeing is the entry wound. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those powder guns they use in the free aisles, but it's like that. The bullet goes in, all you get is a small hole. But where it comes out, a mass of gore. Exactly. But here's the thing. The blast created what's called the cavitation bubble. The eye of the storm, so to speak. But everything outside that zone, destroyed for miles around. And I can't even imagine what went down inside the bubble. That's why we're seeing time dilation. Time and space would have expanded and retracted around it. And who knows what happened to the inhabitants? I just don't know who would do something like that. Or why. I think I do. The ancient weathered doors of the castle creak open. Inside is darkness. Shabby and worn, the colors are dull and washed out. Tapestries are faded to unrecognizability. And yet, everything is kept in immaculate condition. With one exception, toys, handcrafted of wood and brightly colored, are strewn throughout the place. Miko takes Gaki's hand. He looks down, dejected and terrified. 
you have to be very careful and very quiet. We must not wake her. Um, but, uh, can, can I go play with the toys? That is the last thing you should do. She steps forward, takes off her slippers, and gives a deep bow. Tadaima. And she steps on to the tatami. So Sonia walks up, does the same thing. Um, he does a best <laughs> representation of that bow that he can. And he's like, ah, ta-da. She takes your hand and guides you up. The moment you set foot into the castle proper, you are overwhelmed with a sense of longing. All of you can feel it as you join them over the threshold. You have to take off the dirty boots, give a little bow. Oh, Virgil, be as quiet as you can. Virgil seems to know what it's doing. It gently wipes its feet and then gets up onto the actual space. The heat that it's giving off dims slightly. See, he's a very good boy. He's not biting my tail. This place is really creepy. Amelia follows suit, removing her shoes carefully and going through the entire ritual. She begins walking through the space. Wide hallways lined with paper doors. The tapestries are worn. There are several tapestries, however, that are still in fairly pristine condition. On them, you see depicted in a style of art that you're not familiar with, a child. At first, the images of the child are well and joyous. You can see them in scenes playing with a blacksmith, playing with a chef. As you continue, the child begins to look sickly. Every passing tapestry reveals a child that is growing ill and fewer and fewer people present. Soon, the only people present in the picture are two adults. One, a relatively small man dressed in the finery of the region. Simple robes with elegant filigree and complex textiles. And a woman, several feet taller than him. Both of them look lovingly at their child. The next tapestry depicts this castle and its surrounding walls. And at a distance from it, you see an army approaching. The next tapestry, the woman and the man look different. He is smaller and she is taller. Their joy has turned sour and the child looks near death. In the final tapestry, there is no child. Instead, there is a box. Though you do not know the customs of this place, it is obviously a coffin. Oh no. Gulp. Maybe I should have kept the bagpipes. Oh, I feel I feel really sad for them. I wonder if that was Brighton. You come to the door at the end of the hallway, but it is slightly ajar, and from it a faint blue glow. So as we've been like tiptoeing really carefully and cautiously through this entry hall, Gregory's been particularly quiet, other than when they get to the door and the painting. He is focusing on this, the sound of home that he heard before, something that's kind of woken up in him. And he tries to tune to his primeval awareness, and he's going to try to detect the presence of any demons in the area. When you activate this, you can feel faint pulsations of energy coming from far away, clearly coming from the Ueno. In here, you feel something like demonic energy but its signature is off it doesn't feel natural it doesn't feel like what you know hmm. so sunny will definitely quickly tiptoe 
and sneakily peer his head, trying to get a better look at whatever this light is. As you get closer, the shade of blue is unmistakably that of the lanterns from earlier. Ah, oh, it's so pretty. I look to Miko. Do we, do we go in? She reaches her hand to the door and pulls it open. We must. Gaki tries to pull away from her. I'm just going to hand like shaking a little bit, gently put it on her shoulder and say, Miko, um, we didn't say thank you. I know this must be hard for your world, but you're helping us. You're our friend now. Gaki is pulling harder. Gaki, you must. Come. And she pulls him in. Inside is a stairwell that leads down. You slowly descend. And as you do, a scene unfolds before you. At the end of a short hall, you see a room open up. The room is roughly 30 feet by 40. And at the end of it, you see a small wooden shrine, not too dissimilar from that that Miko serves. However, at its altar, you see a withered, desiccated, mummified body. A child. Sat in lotus position, its hands meditative, and praying before it, a woman. Of such tremendous dimensions that your brain has a hard time understanding it. At her height, she must be at least nine feet tall. Her arms are splayed out on the ground in prostration, and they are long and gnarled, with claws at their ends. Next to her is a small, small man. The woman slowly comes to a sitting position and turns to you. Her face is long and drawn with a hooked nose, old and weathered. Her hair tied up gray and steely into a bun. Her eyes are a piercing, suffocating blue. My Gaki. That is gone. Gaki is trembling nearby. Uh, me too. <laughs> Sunny goes over to Amy, just like taps, taps her a little bit. Hey, hey, Amy. Amy. Amy, our, our mom's always this tall. It's Amelia. They, they seem that way sometimes. My mom is not that tall. She's just... The woman says. Miko, we can't understand them. The magic's not working right now. It won't. They cannot speak your tongue. What are they saying? She wants to know who you are. Will she understand? No. Miko steps forward and says things in the language that you should be able to understand, but they don't come through. You found, in fact, that anybody who doesn't want you to understand them, you won't. The discussion gets heated and panicked. The little man stands up and he turns to you with a wide smile. His two front teeth elongated, almost like a rat. <laughs> He starts slowly walking towards you. Uh, Svaltir is going to kneel, looking at this little man as though he was a rat. I'm going to tell him, small man, we have come in search of someone from our world who has wandered into yours. We do not know where we would find them, but if you can be of any assistance, it would be of great benefit to us. Depending on how rat-like he is, Furbolgs can passively speak with animals, 
And that's what I'm attempting to do is, is talk to him as though he were a rat so that he would still understand me. There's a flicker of recognition to your words. He smiles. You go. You go. Obasan is drawing herself up to her full height. Her tremendous form blocking out the light from the shrine. I shake my head sadly. Well, Uncle Arvid had good luck bargaining with a rat. I stand up and I crack my neck. It looks like I have not been quite so successful. And I look at this nine foot tall woman who's like two feet taller than me and I just make eye contact. I can sense something on them. It's it's not like the darkness that's in me, but it's it's similar. Something wicked and special about them. Even more than anything else here. I got gay. <sighs> she reaches out to the goblin. Mika, what do we do? She's just staring at them, terrified. She grabs the spirit bottle and she smashes it on the ground. The air is filled with the smell of sake and the smell of sickness, the smell of fire, the smell of steel, a memory of mourning. The blue flames ignite, glowing brighter and brighter, filling the room with their light. You have to stop her. We have to get past her. We have to get... We have to get to Okosama. At the name Okosama, Obasan shrieks. Her cloak lifts as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight arms climb out of it. And she starts climbing on the rafters, which are roughly 15 feet up. Maybe we can distract her. Svoltir, can you go get the body? And before I manage to tap into this blue fire, manifesting my inner infernalness and adapting the light of this world, and if I can, I'll attempt to use some thaumaturgy to bring a little of that back out, just emitting kind of a soft demonic glow, my red eyes shifting to a weird blue. As soon as you do, the old man, Ojisan, kind of sniffs the air, and he looks at you. I think they kept him because they like the light that he makes. Now he's dead. Now he wants ours. We just want to take this person from our world with us and leave your world as it is, and we'll be gone forever. Svoltir will don his shield and, and slide it over his arm, and he looks at the body across the way, and he goes, Red Roper, Red Roper. Send Brighton over. Red Roper. <laughs> oh, I like, I like that. Then I lower my shoulder and get ready to charge. Everybody go ahead and roll me initiative. Okay. Right. Ooh. Starting with Alal. Uh, 14. I got a total of 19. Uh, my initiative is 6. My initiative is 18. So the way this is going to work, each of these spiders represents a hand and an arm. Three of them are in the air. The others are on the ground. You cannot reach Obasan because her body is in the rafters. She is looking down on you menacingly. You can, however, attack her hands or attack her via ranged attack. After she makes an attack with one of her hands, it must rest. Yes, it paints a, a very vivid image, and I follow, and I'm glad they're not spiders. <laughs> because I specifically wrote that Amelia is afraid of spiders. But I will say that the energy she gives off feels like a spider. 
For all intents and purposes, this woman is a spider. She has eight limbs. These three limbs are her base. Those are the three arms she uses to constantly hold herself. Okay. Yes. Let us begin. As soon as you ready yourself for combat, she explodes with an array of arms, some of them holding herself up in the rafters, some of them on the ground, and some of them ready to strike. And that makes it Alante's turn. Uh, Sunny, definitely freaked out and afraid, is just going to release a flurry of radiant sunbolts. So that's a 17 total on one hit. Ooh, and a 22 on the other. Those are both hits. All right. So that is a 1d4 plus 2. Are these ranged attacks? Yes. Okay. Which ones look most menacing? Probably the ones in the air. Yeah, I'm going to hit the hands in the air. Because, okay. Yeah. That is a three on one. Okay. One hand. And a four on the other. Excellent. Nice. And if it matters, I think it's radiant damage. And it is radiant damage. Perfect. You fire off these blasts of radiant energy, and they collide with some of the hands in the air. They flinch, but continue to hold their position. She seems hurt, but largely unaffected. And that makes it Dana's turn. Amelia's caught off guard and kind of falls back against the wall. She seems extremely terrified. And she starts just muttering like, spiders, I am I, I, afraid of spiders. She falls back on going through different pieces of advice that her parents have given her. She says, my, my mom always says, only fight as a last resort. But dad always says, if they roll for initiative, <laughs> make sure they don't get back up. <laughs> Are there any toys around me? Yes. There's a large number of toys just kind of strewn about the ground. Without breaking eye contact from where she's looking, Amelia starts like groping around on the floor for any kind of loose debris, finding a toy in her hand. She says a few words and makes some signs with her hands and casts the spell catapult, <laughs> flinging the toy through the air with a ballistic velocity uh, right at the like main figure of Oba'asan. Okay, cool. Do it. Hit me with them dice. She's going to have to make a dexterity oh, saving throw. Gotcha. Thank you. I hope she fails because this hits hard. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, catapult oh, it does. spell. I didn't know this was a thing. It's uh, scary for a level spell because it's all or nothing. But oh. that's a natural twenty. Oh, oh man. Bummer. Okay, the the toy flies through the air and shatters against the wall. The toy explodes in just an ocean of of little tiny bits, and she looks at it and looks at you now enraged. Gregory's turn. Oh dear. Um. Lock and load the wrist rocket. So I'm going to try to target one of the hands that's holding her up. I want to try to shoot it with a hail of thorns shot. So if she's close enough, she'll catch a little shrapnel in her main body. But I'm, I'm shooting at the hand and not her. How close do they need to be? Uh, five feet. Oh, uh, yeah. No, she's at least uh, 10 feet from any of her hands. Okay. Um, then I'm just going to target with a regular shot one of the hands that's near her. Sounds great. All right. Are we to assume that Oji-san is not a threat in this fight? Are you going to look around for him? Yes. You throw eyes anywhere you can find something, anything, any movement, and you do not see Oji-san. But it's important that Gregory's like, okay, where are all the threats? Like he's, <laughs> he is perceptive. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take a shot. And the second question is, I detect like some kind of demonic energy, like a weird version of it. Sort of. Would that apply to my favorite enemy? That's a hard question for me to answer. I got to ask, though. I mean, it's like part of me wants to say yes, but like even in this world, these creatures are not what would be considered demons. Sure. I'm going to give it to you because you specifically were blessed by the spirits of this place. Hey. Yes. Yes. Hey. Absolutely. Nice. Very nice. 
forgot about that. Um, and with that channeling, mm-hmm. as I hit this thing, I turn the uh, wrist rocket shot into a hunter's mark. Okay. So the blue light that surrounds me ignites the bolt and fires with it. Mm. And my total to hit is an 18. Excellent. That's definitely a hit. And with a favored enemy bonus and hunter's mark. Nice. Uh, 12 piercing damage. Woo! And that is Grigori's proper turn. But with that, Virgil senses the danger that Grigori's feeling and charges forward to just tackle the nearest hand on the ground in front of us. I like it. And that was, the you attacked one of the hands, right? The one up in the ceiling, that's okay. one of the three holding her up. Gotcha. And Virgil's going to charge forward and use his bite attack. Are any of them close enough to attack Svoltir? Or are they still got distance away? Svoltir hasn't moved yet. It's tricky because they're not technically creatures, but you would say that they have a 15-foot range from where she is. Gotcha. If they're adjacent to one of our allies, he rolls different, so I don't mm. think they're next to anyone yet. So he's just going to charge forward and try to bite it. Uh, he gets real good roll. Mm? That's 21 for bite, bite dog. Very nice. And the hand, I know this is weird mechanics. Feel free to throw this one out the window if you need, but he has an automatic DC 11 strength save versus knocked prone. So, or just like twist it over or something. They have to try and resist it. Yeah. If he bites someone and succeeds, they roll a strength save or they also get knocked prone. Gotcha. I'm going to say that won't work for these just because they're hands. I figured. <laughs> I figured. Boy, I don't know why I rolled that before. That's hard to see. <laughs> uh, six plus four. So 10 total damage. I guessed a one and I was wrong. (laughs) I'm not rolling it again. I just grabbed one at random. I'm like, I forgot that's a hard one to see. How much was that? Uh, 10 total. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Jeez, that is some damage. I rolled well. I'm glad I did. I know. That's my my whole thing. I like it. Excellent. So he just kind of starts gnawing away at the wrist, trying to pull it off, tear the thing free. And uh, he's not used to fighting a limb. Yeah. So it's obvious that he's a little shaken. He's bitten a lot of hands, but none this big. Exactly. The energy of your strike, your hunter's mark, is noticeably hurting them. It seems very, very unpleasant. Um, what was the damage type on uh, the... It imitates the same as your weapon attack, so it would be piercing. Oh, and your boy. Oh, he does half fire, half piercing. Um, so, yeah, three fire, seven piercing. Okay, gotcha. I'm trying to catch these hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of that turn, and that moves on to Obasan. Gulp. Obasan has three arms free. And she uses them. First, she moves herself forward one step and then uses her extra hands to swipe at you because you're the closest thing to her. Okay. Uh, You are a clear and present threat, the largest thing there, and the only thing that she actually thinks is is dangerous. So she attacks you with all three strikes. All right. We have a 11. Misses. Okay. We have a 7. Misses. And we have a 19. 19 will hit. Okay, cool. So... Let's see here. So you take five damage. Okay. And that's poison damage. Okay. As soon as the claw rakes across you, you can instantly feel kind of a sickening weakness just overtake you. Now go ahead and roll me a constitution save. 18. You're good. <laughs> nice. Tough boy. She strikes at you with one of her limbs. She places her free hands or the hand she just struck with in front of you because they are exhausted. At which point three of her other hands disappear and go back into the rafters. Okay. One, what's she wearing? Dirty, dirty <laughs> boy. Yeah. Uh, she's just wearing a cloak, tattered cloak. Mechanically speaking, all of the hands are controlled by her. Yes. Then I'm going to cast blindness on her. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like it. She needs to make... How's a 21 suit you? Uh, 21's going to pass regardless of what kind of save it is, but let's... 
it is in fact a constitution saving throw. Okay. Yep. Svoltir will, um, his shield in, in his hand, and he's going to pull out his horn, and he's going to say, the sons of the red moon never give up a challenge, and I blow into my horn, and I cast blindness on Obasan. I'm like, it's not Obi-Wan, but it's <laughs> Obasan, and the, the noise just like vibrates and dust comes out of the rafters, and it, it tries to cling in her eyes. And she shakes it off because she rolled a 20-something odd on her constitution saving throw. I like that you didn't go for light and went with dust. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The, as if it's the ancestors helping you. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, the sound shook the dust loose. Yeah. You know, this is not Harithax. I can't just throw shadows in their face. <laughs> throwing shadows, throwing hands. Yeah. And then I'm going to glance over my shoulder. I'm going to lock eyes with Amelia. And I'm going to say, don't be afraid of the spiders. They're just bugs. And we can step on bugs, and I charge forwards. And and when I say that, I give you a bardic inspiration. Okay, interesting. You can use it for damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because I'm a valor bard. You can you can add it to damage. You all hear a brief skittering, and a <laughs> you nope. are suddenly beset by the tiniest, most infuriating little creature. A screaming <laughs> starts clawing and clawing at you, but they don't hurt. He doesn't hurt you. The claws don't really dig. It's it's as if an adult human was trying to claw at you with their fingernails. And the bites feel shallow and weak. Nothing really. You don't take damage, but you can't focus. You have oh. a disadvantage on all your checks for the next round. Oh, no. Does that just apply to me and not Virgil? Yeah, just you. Cool. Yeah. All right. That moves it back to the top of the initiative queue with Alante. Oh, Sunny. So, Svoltir is really, really tall. So I'd like to do that weird thing that cats do when they're like in a hole or trying to get something out of the corner. So I just want to like use my cat's claws to attack the thing, but like between soldiers legs. So uh, Sunny will move. Okay. So first attack coming in. Hurrah. I assume that hits with the 17. That's a hit. That is three points of slashing. Okay. Second hit bonus. And you know what? I'll use some key. I really don't like this thing. And I like and I like salty, so yeah. Mm, natural one on the bonus hit. Nasty, nasty jazz. Alrighty. Fifty-one. Alright. You try to strike at it and you get tangled up in the web of arms. You feel like you can't figure out where it is or what's going on, so your next attack's gonna be at disadvantage. Alright. Here's that key attack. Woo! Uh, with disadvantage, that's 11 total. Not going to do it. Oh, okay. So you just kind of start striking at it and you realize you're trying to punch somebody's arms, which is a very distracting and confusing process. <laughs> uh, so you just can't quite make sense of it. Uh, this isn't the hand to hand you trained in. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Moving on. That's Dan's turn. Woo. Amelia is like thinking about what Svoltir has, has said and kind of musters herself and, and stands the rest of the way back up from the wall. Amelia's going to to look around and assess the situation for a hot minute. And then thinking quickly, she's going to reach across the way and touch Svoltir on the back. She's going to open up a component pouch on her belt that has a weird little like kind of zigzag on it in puff paint that nobody else could really tell what this is. But from it, she plucks the hind leg of a grasshopper and casts Jump. Ooh. And what that means, for the duration of one minute, which should be 10 rounds, Svoltir's jump distance is now tripled. 
Excellent. Nice. I'll, um, if the space directly behind Svoltir is open, I'll move into that. Cool. And that makes it Gregory's turn. My question then is, can I try to shoot the same hand I shot before? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Cool. Then I will try to do that. I'm aware I have disadvantage now because I have a rat nibbling my, my flanks. Yes. <laughs> Munching my haunch. In fact, the hand that you attacked is this one. Because it was one of the ones in the rafters and that one came down. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Then. Very good. Um, yeah, I will try to shoot it. Thankfully, I'm not adjacent to it. Uh, that's a crit. Holy God. And a 15. Ah, oh, okay. Oh. <sighs> well, that's a hit. That's great. I mean, that's better than I assumed it would have done. Uh, so I am going to blast him with the same Hunter's Mark damage as before. Not bad. 11 piercing. Excellent. You fire, it punctures the side of the arm, and in an almost anime-like style, it, it bulbuses up and then sprays out a geyser of blood. Uh, the arm severs and falls to the ground. And training to realize that I'm fighting at the same time, Virgil's going to leap into the spot where the hand just exploded and pounce onto that dog. Excellent. And now he has advantage because of pack tactics as Voltier is adjacent to it. Because he's a good boy. Yeah. That is a 22 to hit. That's a hit. And I will tell you the difference between fire and regular now. So I rolled max damage across the board. Ooh. So that's uh, eight plus four for Virgil. God damn. I think Virgil's officially a better attack dog than Morty. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So eight plus four. That'll do it. Um, Wowzers. Yeah. So he literally just rips it in half and tears it to pieces. She is now down yet another arm. He's a good boy. And I'll just be like batting at this guy like behind me as I'm trying to shoot. No, just get away. I love it. So uh, realizing now that you pose a far greater threat and realizing that Ojisan is on you, she decides to take her three available hands up here. Two of those hands go for Grigori. One of the hands goes for Svoltir. 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 I'm glad none are at, at my pub. Yep. Uh... We've got a Svoltir for not, not hit. All right. Um, let's just go ahead and call that a no. Um, and then the other two add Grigory. That's a natural 20. I think that hits. So we have... Uh... Did you kill him? Did you kill Gregory? <laughs> One short of max damage. <laughs> so you've got uh, 14 damage coming at you. Well... As a reaction, okay. my infernal legacy kicks in and a hellish rebuke targets her body. Ooh! So she gets a dex save. Okay. Yeah. I bet he is Gregory after that. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she succeeds the dex save. Okay, she still takes half. Okay, great. Of 3d10. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> Fire. Yeah. Thank you. If I can make this part of the same blue flame I'm checking, It is, yeah, I no, it's, it's... Two tens and a six. So despite the fact that it's halved, I still do 13 damage. Okay. Uh, I'm loving it, man. Um, Does she resist it, though? No. Okay. No. Uh, Just to clarify, she has resistance to physical damages. So bludgeoning, Mm. slashing, piercing. Okay. Okay. But her arms don't. Cool. All right. I feel good about it. I'm rolling. Is is rolling a PC like always this good? (laughs) I don't roll this good. Obviously not. (laughs) Obviously. Does a 15 get you? It does. Okay. So that one does hit, and this one's just one damage plus three, so four. So 18. Yeah, 18, and then you rolled two constitutions. Okay. One is a 15, the other is a six. One succeeds, the other one fails. So you have one point of poison. 
So what that's going to do is every round you take one point of damage unless you can cure it. Okay, gotcha. And Grigori looks awful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, Michael's up. So the two that struck you land here and here. And the one that struck you lands here. And for right now, all of her hands are on the ground. Svoltir is is going to kind of feel that springiness in his legs and go, Ah, I've seen my uncle do this in the league before. Watch this. And I leap off of the ground. Uh, and I'm going to attempt to land behind the row of hands in front of us. Sure. And I'm going to do a superhero landing. Yeah. And cast <laughs> Thunderclap. The um, is a cantrip. Nice. Okay. Um, all three of those hands need to make a constitution save. Excellent. All right. Perfect use of the superhero landing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought so. 19, 12, and 5. Uh, the 5 fails, the 12 just passes, the 19 obviously passes. Okay, cool. The 1 that fails mm-hmm. takes 2 points of thunder damage. Well, you're in luck. It only needed 2 points to pop. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, similarly to the slingshot hit, it just kind of bubbles up and then bursts showering you all with kind of a red ichor. Gross. And there's a thunderclap that happens that can be heard from up to 100 feet away. Excellent. Yeah, it's very loud. The reverse Akira. And at the sound of the thunderclap, you can all hear very distantly, It's ringing! It's ringing! (laughs) Nice. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) You did it. (laughs) <laughs> we did it we can go home that, that's it mission, that's mission it. accomplished Aww. good job guys yeah. uh, and then as a bonus action I'm gonna land do that that thing's gonna pop and as the blood kind of sprays across my face I'm gonna look at Gregory and I'm gonna be like be strong little demon this fight does not end yet and I cast healing word yay Ooh, nice. lay it on me uh, you gain four hit points I will take it and you cure your one point of poison I'm still very hurt, but I feel way better now, and I'm grateful. <laughs> Excellent. So that moves us on to Oji-san. Now, as soon as she strikes you, he uses the opportunity to leap through the air onto the next available target, which in this case is Amelia. He jumps on top of you. Again, he just starts flailing and freaking out all over you, and it's really incredibly frustrating and annoying, but it doesn't hurt. Just hand boning. I'm really uncomfortable right now. Um, you are at disadvantage on any d20 rolls for the next turn. That makes it Sunny's turn. Sunny saw Grigori get really hurt and he's really mad. So what he's going to do, he obviously has to do the anime ninja run up the hand and punch in her face trope. I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't. Yeah, let's do that. I'm delighted by this. <laughs> yes. We're going to go ahead and have you roll acrobatics. Do I have to if I use my feline agility? What is feline agility? It's a tabaxi trick. Yeah, it's a tabaxi trait where basically uh, I double my speed and such. Also, I'm really good at climbing just by being a cat. I think I think either acrobatics or climb will work fine. Whichever is higher. That's an eight total. That's not going to do it. But uh, can I re-roll it if I use my last point of key to step of the wind? So like as I slip... I'm taking that like inertia to kind of get back on. I'm not going to have you roll for that since you jump just in doubles. That's more yes. than enough to get you up there. Yes. Okay. So with that, then I will make my attack action to just claw her right in the eyes. I don't know how many eyes she has. You can't target specific parts. So go ahead and roll an attack. Okay. But I would like to claw her in the eyes. <laughs> sure. 
Okay, much better. That is a 20 total. That's definitely a hit. Yay. Nice. <laughs> a 1d4 plus 2, anybody? That's a 3. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you go ahead and claw at her. You remember the distinct feeling of the flesh of her arms being soft and withered. But this doesn't feel that way. It feels hardened, tough, and tight. She only takes one damage because of the resistance. You are now on the rafters. And that's great. Why are you so mean? Perfect. And that makes it Dana's turn. Okay, Mom, uh, please don't be mad. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to, to cast evocation spells until I'm 13, but um, this is technically divination, which is what I've been studying anyway. And you probably wouldn't be happy with this, but I think this is one of those situations where you said it's okay. And so she's going to turn at Obasan and cast Mind Spike. Ooh, nice. how does that work? She's going to make a wisdom saving throw. Not her strong suit. How does a 11 do? Ooh, I think I have a 12. Ooh. Nice. Slap me with that mind spike. On a failed wisdom save, she's going to take 3d8 psychic damage. Psychic? Wait, psychic? Psychic. She is vulnerable to psychic damage. Oh, yes. Good spell. (laughs) Oh. That is going to be 18 psychic damage. Woo! Undoubled? Oh, that's doubled. Oh, okay. oh god damn. Woo. Yeah, it was nine. It was kind okay. of middling and doubled for 18. Okay. Still delicious for a third level. Mm-hmm. Yes, very good. Yeah, I love it. That is exactly enough damage to fell her. Wow. Yeah. What? <sighs> Amelia directs all of her consciousness and thought into a single point and then drives that point into Obasan. She writhes and screams as the psychic energies of your mind spike resonate outward, amplified by those of the shattered Kami bottle. And everything goes white. You! Mr. Brigness, how wonderful of you to- You'll want to start talking! Why the hells are you blowing holes in other worlds? Can't! Eh? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> dare you? Do you have any... Bear me the indignant villain spiel. It's a waste of time and boring to boot. You went ahead and used some goo to blast yourself a doorway to Fantasyland, and some kid wandered in when you turned your backs. That about do it? I have no idea what you told me. Gods are like a walking cliche. I've already said word to the commissioner, and she owes me one. Maybe more than one. You're not saving your skin by Stalin, but you could save those kids if you come clean. Tell me, you overgrown goblin. Do you have any idea the value of stable interplanar travel? A permanent gateway through which travelers, commerce, armies could walk? Do you have any idea how bad it'll look when your face gets blastered all over the scry with child murderer underneath? I did not kill the child. He wandered into the testing area before we took our first shot. We didn't even know he was there until our team put together the missing persons and the biological residue. I wanted to rescue the child discreetly, which is why I contacted you, a washed-up desk jockey, who would do whatever it takes to save face, even if it meant endangering his team. As for me, I'm no murderer. I'm the savior of this realm. My creation will bring to Mackinac resources beyond imagining. And no idiot half-breed can change that by calling it a favor. Well, I wasn't really expecting the racial epithets, but hey, can't expect villainy to be confined to one area of expertise. But that's really all I needed. Get everything, Reggie? Yes, transmission is complete. What? Like I got a direct line to the commish? I'm just some washed-up desk jockey. But a special transmission from a department head. Woo! 
I just gotta go right where it counts. The racism was a nice touch. I was a little worried you might come off sympathetic. This makes no difference. Once the Commissioner sees the value of my creation, she will brush all of this under the rug. You've done nothing more than move up the timeline on my presentation. Eh, maybe. But my conscience is clear. As for my team, I knew they'd take whatever chance they had to help someone in need. And since you're a walking caricature, I'll put this in terms you can understand. That's the difference between you and me. I would never endanger children for my personal gain. Oh, and by the way, that transmission wasn't just for the Commissioner. Duke was able to patch in Union Headquarters. Good luck brushing this under the rug now. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey all you cuties, Law here, and I hope you're all keeping well in this wild and ever-changing world that we live in. I know we always try to do our best to thank you all for being fans and supporting the LUQ, but I don't think our words will ever be enough to express how much it means to us. So I guess the best way we can do it is by continuing to make this project that people love. It can be stressful and it can be time-consuming, but when we're doing it, we can tell something special is happening, and it inspires us. And that's all thanks to your positive reviews and amazing feedback. So as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. A massive, super big, top-shelf thank you to all of our patrons. Being a patron gets you access to a whole bunch of LUQ goodies, like over 20 battle maps and unique magic items, character sheets, bonus content, access to the secret Discord channels, and of course, everyone is welcome on our Discord. To find links to that, or the aforementioned Patreon, go to theluq.com. Our legendary tier patron teams, who are literally in a league of their own, are the Cultured Cutthroats, the Moonlight Vale, the Tavern Brawlers, and this week's featured team, the Iron Rhapsody, with Eshwin, Krista Perez, Christopher Mashburn, and John Reinhardt. This is the very exciting and heartfelt finale of our very first attempt at the Little League of Ultimate Questing. If you love the Thunder Tykes, let us know. We may have a time down the road to bring them back again. I hope. A super big personal thank you from me to Zach for bringing so much to the role as Dungeon Master. In the episode description, you'll find a link to an online auction for fantasy art or rent a DM one-shot adventures with some incredibly talented DMs from beloved podcasts and myself. If you want your character drawn by a very talented illustrator or you want to play in your own LUQ adventure or any of the other great adventures, please check it out. All proceeds go to The Trevor Project, which is a fantastic program to help at-risk LGBTQ youth. And a big thank you to Travis from Dark Dice for putting it all together. But that's enough wind slapping out of my word hole. Let's find out together how the Thunder Tykes handle this epic finale. Who can resist fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies? Just like Grandma used to make. Warm and gooey, fresh out of the oven. Nothing makes you feel more like a kid again. Let our family recipe become your new favorite. 
a mysterious recipe handed down through the ages, a secret so precious, brilliant minds have collapsed trying to unlock the truth. Wars have been waged, worlds have been broken, a recipe bound by infernal contracts and guarded by the legions of the seven hells. Miss Fiendman's perfect chocolate chip cookies, baked in the eternal flames of the abyss, that unmistakable smell when they come out of the oven, torturing forsaken souls who want, but can never have, the best cookies in this world, or other worlds, no really, they're sinfully good. We'll name whatever price we want, and you'll pay it. Miss Feedman's Chocolate Chip Cookies One in every ten cookies is actually made with raisins. <laughs> You see a flash of two well-dressed nobles. A man, somewhat lacking in stature, but finely dressed, and his wife, tall and beautiful, but past her childbearing years. They find a child abandoned at the castle gates, its hair black and almond eyes a pale shade of eldritch blue. They tend to the child to the best of their ability, but there are no children here. In time, the child grows older, from baby to toddler, from toddler to adolescent. And then, the Soga family gets news that they are going to be besieged. A warring clan is coming to take this very strategic point. The townsfolk hear this. The well and the healthy, the young, they abandon this place, leaving it to those who are too old and too weak to hold. The walls are strong, and their priest willingly sacrifices his life to generate a powerful psychic field around the gates to prevent their entrance. But more to prevent them leaving. They plan to starve them out. But the boy grows sick. Too sick. Longing for friendship, longing for companionship, he sits in his small bedroom. And all he hears is the whispers, the snide comments, the rumors the hate-filled vitriol from the people who live there. She's such a spider. She's always lurking around. Everything she says, everything she does, it's such a trick. She's poison. He's so ineffectual. He's nothing. What kind of lord is he? He's a rat. That poor boy. No friends. No one to love him. And then one day, something devastating. It started as a single, small pinbrick of light, right in the middle of the castle. And it exploded, radiating outward, energy they did not understand. It cut them off from the rest of the world. It cut everything off. The resultant wake changed time, changed everything. One child stood in the wake of that devastation. This child, a young boy with sandy blonde hair and green eyes, was confused and scared and hurt. Obasan hated him. She called him what we always call children that we despise. Brats. Gaki. The Sakaijin word for devil. A monster. The child became obsessed with his identity as a monster, as a 
creature, not a human, a goblin. Hundreds of years passed in isolation in this vortex of time where nothing has meaning. Everything has changed. But the boy still wants friends. And you snap back. Tears are streaming down Amelia's face. He looks around at everyone and, and looks very sad and somberly at Gawky. And, and he just runs towards him and gives him a big old cat hug. Oh, no, 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 I'm a monster. I'm a monster, don't. And the, the hug is joined by a large puppy that wraps around and licks both the goblin and the cat. <laughs> I did this. I did this to them. I did this to them. It's okay. I'll be your friend. I ran away from home. What kind of monster runs away from his family? Monsters don't have friends, but you're my friend now. And so he looks around to find one of those jade bracelets that he makes and hands it to Gaki. It's like, see? We're friends now. I forgot. I forgot what I was. His voice sounds normal, like a little boy. Gaki, um, I should say Brighton. Moms are weird. He cringes at the name. Parents are strange. Sometimes they're mean. Sometimes they're obsessive. But even the worst ones will be glad to see you if you came back. I can't go home. It's too late to go home. Okosama needs me. I'm his only friend. I don't think Okosama is here with us anymore. You know that's not true. Oh. As soon as you say it. The blue flames next to the shrine flare up. I'm, can, can you come home with us? Nico puts a hand on Brighton's shoulder. This place is held up by Okosama's will. He doesn't want to let Gaki go. But his parents who miss him too. It's not fair. What if Okosama has powers here? What if maybe we took Brighton home, but... We kept the door open so he could come visit you all the time. I do not know of your planar magic, but I suspect the only reason this door is open is because of Brighton, because of Brighton's presence here. It was worth a shot. I mean, we can't make him go if he doesn't want to, but it's not good that he's here as a sad goblin. No one likes to be different like that. Mm -hmm. Not like the other humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, I assume... So he just, his ears droop a little bit. Immediately after Obasan drops and the hands all go away, Svoltir runs over to Amelia laughing, picks Amelia up bodily by the shoulders and goes, you did it, you dropped the spider. And I headbutt her like gleefully and immediately like drop you back down on the ground. I'm like, ow, that hurt a lot. Why does anyone do that? <laughs> <laughs> Tears were streaming down her face, and as you lift her up and headbutt her, she starts laughing, <laughs> just guffawing, like she's on the ground, doubled over, just laugh, crying. At that, the light glows purple for a moment, and you can almost see Gaki's features as a goblin fade a little bit, just a little bit. So after all, all the hugging and a little bit of crying... Uh... Sunny turns around and, and just starts, you know, doing a little kid march to Okosama. He, he's going to take a minute when he gets there and and um, try to connect, you know, gain that insight of what, what does he really want and need. 
it's pretty abundantly clear with the psychic energy and the residual field of everything in this room that what he wants is other children. Mm. He's lonely. He wants this place to be safe for children to play. Miko says he does not know his power. He does not know that this place is his to control. Oh, wait. Um, I have an idea, maybe. Um, what if we have hungry guys come in and play with them? They're, they might be kids, too. She looks at you. How do you think of this? I don't know. It's what I would do. M- maybe instead of keeping them out as wicked shadows, let them in and let them be happy. If he can make them happy here... If this boy has ears to listen, I can tell him a tale of a better world, one he can form around him. And I spin a tale where the hungry become children and fuel his creative imagination to change the world around him. And at that, the blue lights turn white. Radiant energy spills out from them. And you can feel the world changing. All of you realize that Obasan, Ojisan, and Gaki are returning to some semblance of normalcy. Gaki is still left with slightly pointed ears and some very pronounced canines. Obasan is still a very tall and very intimidating woman, but no longer the nightmare creature she once was. And Ojisan gains a little bit of his height back and just a little bit more of his confidence. The three of them walk up out onto the grounds. And as you follow, you hear hundreds and hundreds of voices, small children's voices, as they bang on the outside gates. We need to let them in. Miko runs past you as fast as she can to the counter switch and pulls it. The gates swing open and a bunch of children run in screaming, I'm hungry. Oh, God, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. Call me someone, please. I'm so hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brian, there's a whole bunch of friends here now. Do you think maybe you'd want to come back with us? We can stay and play for a little while first, but then we gotta get home. We can play? It's been too long. I reach up and I rip the friendship badge off of my vest, and I hand it to him and say, According to League Rules Article 7, we're allowed to have a fifth member on the Thunder Tykes. There's still a league? The Little League's what we're on. It's been hundreds of years. You've only been gone for a few months. Everything's going to be fine if you go back. He takes a deep breath and passes out. (laughs) (laughs) Svaltir will kind of look at that and go, Well, not everyone has the sterling constitution of the Sons of the Red Moon. And I pick him up and throw him over my shoulder. Let's go, team. (laughs) As you approach the gate, Miko stops you. Thank you. I cannot promise that... This place will be perfect. In time, they will all change. And you won't be able to return, but we thank you. No one wants it to be perfect. Just better. That's the best we can do. And you have done well. You helped us. I forgive you for dirtying my tatami. I forgive you for choking me with your giant demon hand. (laughs) (laughs) We all have transgressions we must absolve ourselves of. Well, bye, Miko. It was nice to meet you. I like look over her shoulder at Gehi and I'm like, farewell, my giant friend. And I, I, I thunderclap one more time just to make the boom since he was so excited about it last time. He seems very excited. <laughs> 
And with that, you stroll out the main gates, down the road, and slowly the bamboo closes in, surrounding you. For a moment, you're standing in an absolute darkness, and then a steady stream of sunlight envelops you. The cold of winter is gone, the warmth of spring is back, and you see storm-clad Thundertongue indescribably happy at the sight of his thunder tikes. Thunderman! Hi! We got him! Hot damn, you did it, kids! Yeah? <laughs> You're gonna want to watch the feet on that one, because it got weird in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you've, you've, got to, you've got to see Sunny right at the end there. He had the best idea. <laughs> I did? You oh. did! Oh! Yay! That was uh, a really good idea, Sunny. Oh! Yay! Oh! I mean, I believe you. But, uh... I mean, how'd you get all that done in an hour? Well, hot damn. Commissioner Lurie. I didn't expect to see you here so soon. Or at all. Your transmission contains some rather disturbing information. I had to see for myself. He's in the pavilion. Didn't exactly have a brig. I'll take it from here. Commissioner Lurie. Miriam Silverest. You're the head of the League's planar R&D Leone branch. Looks like you've been with us for a while now. Yes, Commissioner. It's my life's work. You don't need to respond. I'm not asking you questions. I'm reciting what I read in a rather lengthy report during a rather distracting trip out of my way during the busiest time of the year for me. So now, you just listen. You've been using League resources outside of the scope of your job. You've made real some very dangerous magical practices that could result in people's deaths possibly causing lasting damage to this and other planes of existence. You've endangered the life of a child, which sickens me to my core. Do you even know who his parents were? This entire fiasco was going to cost the League enough gold to have hired ten of you from the start, and I imagine at least one of those ten could follow protocol. To say that I'm furious is an understatement. You're fired. From this day forward, you will have no connections to the League of Ultimate Questing. You will not be paid for your time here, and you will not have me as a glowing referral on future resumes. You're lucky this was enough of an accident that I don't drag you to Andesign by the ear and throw you into Hexhold for the rest of your life. Do I make myself perfectly clear, Mr. Silverist? Yes, Commissioner. Good. Now sign here and here. There now. Reginald 131, you are dismissed. Now that all that's out of the way, please, tell me more about this machine that carves its way into other dimensions. I I don't understand. You fired me. Correct. You will never work for the LUQ again. The press releases are going out as we speak. But... But that doesn't mean you don't still work for the Nexus Enterprise. Now please, tell me more about this machine. Just out of curiosity, is that how you planned it to end? Mm, sort of, yes. Actually, here's the funny thing. Mm-hmm. There were three potential options for how you could have resolved um, the problem of what happens to the world. Mm-hmm. Destroy the kid and let it collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, escape forcibly. Or the optimal scenario, which was to give the hungry another chance. Oh, nice. So when you said that, you might have noticed I lit up quite uh-huh. a bit. That's why. Oh, yay. <laughs> See, the Magoo stumbling into the right thing was achieved. And man, the, the fact that you did it with like bringing his imagination with the story, that is perfect. I was, I was like, I'm a bard. I, I could I could tell a story 
why don't I do that? Like, it's great. That was beautiful. I have a big ass family. I can tell him stories about a lot of kids. I got a lot of cousins. (laughs) That was a beautiful story. That was like a little gut wrenching. Thank you. (laughs) It was a little league gut wrenching. Uh, Little league gut. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for listening to my questionably uh, uh, childlike <laughs> Little League of Ultimate Questing. Let's go around the table here, starting with... I am Law. I played Gregory Sangre, the tiefling ranger, beastmaster, and his best friend Virgil. Hi, uh, I'm Alante, and I played Alcini, better known as Sunny, the way of the sun soul monk. Uh, my name is Michael Loving, and I played Svoltir Ulfmund, who has no idea why anyone would ever headbutt anything. That shit hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dana, and I'm playing Amelia, just Amelia, the half-elven diviner. I'm just going to own that term now. There you go. With mm-hmm. the psychic surge of death. You earned it. That that portent was very useful. <laughs> well, thank you all again for listening. This has been an absolute delight for me. This is the end of the special for the Little League of Ultimate Questing. Uh, we will be following this with a regularly scheduled episode. Hopefully, uh, we still aren't 100% sure on that, but we'll see how it plays. Fingers crossed. Uh, should, should we add or even give it an option that, you know, if you like it, let us know. We might do more in the future. Yes. If you enjoyed this Little League of Ultimate Questing, if you enjoyed this special and you felt like it wasn't too much of a departure from the experience of the League of Ultimate Questing, please let us know. Uh, we're always open to the idea of doing some side stuff. None uh, of our characters died. so None of the characters mm. died. Yeah. Um, you took some mean hits. I almost died. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, uh, all of our episodes come out every Monday, every single Monday, and we're always happy to have you listen to them. Please share us on social media. Re- if you want more of our content, check out slapdashstudios.com. You can check us out on Twitch at slapdashstudios, or excuse me, twitch.tv slash slapdashstreams. That's a mouthful. Um, we don't really have a lot of side stuff to say, do we? Um, by this point, we're already giving our... Uh, Trevor Project information in the mid-roll, yep. but if, one more time if you just want to give it to us. Uh, Trevor Project is a project that helps at-risk LGBTQ youth. I'm going to be donating my time to run a game for fans who want to play in their own LUQ one-shot adventure on Roll20, so keep your eye out for that and save your pennies. And Dana was our fantastic guest here. You yep. performed beautifully. Yeah, I, I love it. For Dana, I was going to say, Absolutely a microphone-conscious clap for Dana. Right? <laughs> Thank you all. I had so much fun. If you ever want to see a angsty 13-year-old Amelia return just after discovering necromancy, let me know. I'm always happy to come back. But um, yeah, my name is Dana. I'm a professional dungeon mistress in the Portland area. You can find me on Twitter as Mistress Dana RPG or go to my website, dmdana.com. Excellent. Well, this has been delightful, and I love having all of you here. I'm so excited to actually be in a room with some people again. But it's going to be a little while before we get another recording going. But until then, we wish you a little luck. Mm-hmm.